0: Well, you should have a set of notes uh, there on Philippians, as well as th- this blue sheet is, is free if you'd like to grab it. It's some of the resources that uh, I, I find helpful in studying this book. The plan of attack this morning is, is to kind of look at an overview. Someone said, oh, we're only looking at two verses? Uh, yes, because I want to make sure we're all in the same playing field. It's very helpful to understand the context of, of what's going on as we dig into this letter. Just a reminder, uh, we, we are meeting through till December the 12th in studying this book. There are two gaps and, and you'll want to note that one is for a fall break and the other is for uh, Thanksgiving. So make sure you note that. And many of you have already registered for the, the Chisholm event, which is October the 25th. It'll be in this room. We are already well over half full. I haven't looked at the last count, but about a week ago we were, had well over 100 who've registered. So if you're wanting to go, I encourage you to sign up. This is available to anyone. So you can bring teens, you can bring your wife. Um, Chisholm is an Old Testament scholar uh, who teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is an unbelievable speaker and a great scholar. And uh, I am delighted, beyond delighted, to have him come. I had him for Hebrew. Uh, he, he's just great, and, and you, you will be blessed. If not, we'll give your money back, all right? So it's free, uh, by the way. Uh, so there you are, all right? Well, here, let's, let's dive into the book of Philippians. Why this little book? Uh, obviously, we know, we're gonna talk about Paul as the author, but, but why are we studying this book? I got a quote at the top of the page, which is just dynamite, and I think John Walvern in his commentary summarizes it well he states if one had no other book but philippians in the new testament and all else had been lost most of the essentials of true faith in christ true christian experience and abundant hope would still be documented uh, this, a couple of you commented earlier, this is my favorite book in the New Testament. Well, I could echo that, right? Uh, those of you who know me laugh because I'll, I'll say this is my favorite book. But Philippians is just a, it's such a rich book. And uh, well, let, let's dive in. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at this. Philippians 1 verse 1. All of Paul's letters, he identifies himself as the author. This is common in the first century to list the author, the recipient, and then greetings. And that follows that same template from Paul and Timothy. So this is co-authored. This is not the only book that Timothy helps Paul write. Can you name me another letter that, that Timothy was involved with? There are several. So, uh, Colossians, Philemon, 2 Corinthians, and he helps also co-author, along with Silvanus, First and Second Thessalonians. So Timothy's mentioned in several letters. We, we don't often realize that, this young lad in the faith, but it says, "...from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi." And notice what it says with the overseers you could put elders there or pastors and deacons so what does that tell you about the church in philippi it's well established right you got church structure you got leadership involved this isn't a small home group that's meeting we've got organization now that's that's there it says grace and peace to you which is common in paul's letters Uh, you kind of have grace was common in uh, Hellenistic letters of the first century. Peace uh, was common in Jewish letters, right? Shalom, baby. So grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our author identifies himself. But let me give you a little bit of the backdrop here, which is a little surprising as you read this letter. First of all, Paul is imprisoned. He lets us know that several times in the letter, Look, jump down to verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. Then he states, the whole Imperial Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison, and there it is. And later he'll state, I don't know what's gonna happen here. In other words, he is facing the potential uh, of being executed for the cause of Christ. And so he is incarcerated. He's incarcerated in Rome. The emperor is Nero. Uh, this is the first of two major uh, incarcerations in Rome. The second one, he will die for the cause of Christ. This first one, he will be released. But he doesn't know that when he writes this book. He'll pin four letters while he's in Rome. Uh, and these are called the prison Epistles. And some of you already know this, so just bear with us, but for some, this is new stuff. And that will be Philippians, and I list these there in your notes, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. You realize that over 25% of Paul's ministry was spent in prison? Isn't that amazing? Um, He had a great prison ministry. (laughs) Um, But over 25% uh, is what McRae and... In his book on paul his life and his teachings argues and i, I think he's probably correct of his, years or of, the books he of his years in ministry okay. 25 years or uh, over 25 percent of his years in ministry <laughs> and remember paul's letters you're going well why are they organized the way they are it's it's based on size and only size they're not based on chronology So keep that in mind, because Galatians is probably the first letter, but it's not the first letter in the canon of Paul's writings. Uh, It's just based solely on size. Well, let me give you another backdrop here that you know. The time frame then would be the early 60s. Well, we know that for a variety of reasons. And there's a a name that pops up in the epistle and is by the name of Epaphroditus. Gesundheit, right? Uh, Turn to chapter 2. Let's look at this. Chapter 2, verse 25. By the way, is Epaphroditus a Jewish name? No. And there's two ladies that are mentioned in chapter 4. You know their names, right? Odia and Syntyche. Uh, Odie, uh and Stinky. We'll get to them in a minute. These two ladies that create problems. Are those Jewish names? No. So what can we surmise probably about the church at Philippi? Predominantly Gentile or Jewish? Gentile. And that should not surprise us. We'll get to this in a minute. These are the th- clues you want to be looking for as you're reading a letter. Uh, and, and it states in verse 25 of chapter 2, but for now I've considered it necessary to send a Epaphroditus to you. He is my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and your, here it is, messenger and minister. Now there's a chart there in your notes that kind of helps lay this backdrop. Paul is sent to Rome as a prisoner The church at Philippi, who's been so precious to Paul, who supported him, they're concerned and they send one of their leaders by the name of Epaphroditus all the way over to Rome from Philippi. Modern Greece, we'll look at a map here in a minute, all the way to Rome to minister to Paul. Now, what happens, and Paul tells us in verse 26... He greatly missed all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was ill, so much so that he nearly died, verse 27 tells us. So while Epaphroditus is ministering to Paul, it's Paul who ministers to Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus almost dies. The church hears about it, Epaphroditus gets well, now Paul sends Epaphroditus back to the church. And so this is the backdrop uh, of the letter, very significant. Now, what can you tell me about Philippi? And the church. What do we know from elsewhere in the New Testament? Acts 16 in particular. What do we know about the church? Let's just put some things down. We know about this town and its church. uh, uh, All right, so it's in modern Greece. It will be the first church that Paul will establish in Europe. Remember that? He leaves Turkey, has a Macedonian call, and he goes over to Greece. Uh, arrives at the port city, Neapolis, and then goes on to to Philippi. What else do we know about this church or the backdrop? Help me out. I'm getting all these people looking down. Come on. You're astute group. Who is the lady meeting with the other God-fearers outside the city? Lydia, Lydia, seller of purple, right? By the way, she's also not Jewish. She's from Thyatira, right? She's a seller of purple. So that tells us a little bit about the city as well. It's an affluent city, isn't it? You got someone selling Armani suits. You got to ha- be able to afford an Armani suit. He faced opposition. Yeah, Paul did face opposition, so much so what happens in Philippi, do you remember? They put, him in prison. they put it, they beat him and they put him in prison, right? He was beat and imprisoned. We'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, well, but while he was, and, and what happens while he's in prison? Remember that whole story: earthquake, earthquake and the, the, the guard was going to kill himself because he was afraid the prisoners escaped, and all of that. Any other? This is the scene. Uh, Paul will spend quite a bit of time at Philippi, or interact with him uh, throughout uh, his ministry, and that we know from Second Corinthians, this church was very supportive of Paul. all right you're very astute military connections and we will come we will come back to the military connections in fact look at your notes let's just look at this let me show you philippi is one of my favorite places to visit uh it is located in northern greece a lot of groups who go to greece for touring don't go all the way up to philippi and it's a shame because it is a fabulous site and uh it's located as was noted on the Via Ignatia, which is a major Roman highway. And it, the ruin, the remains of the, the road are still there today, which is pretty uh, amazing. Uh, but uh, it's designated as a Roman colony, which is very significant. Corinth was a Roman colony as well. That means that you're exempt from certain taxes. Woo-hoo, right? Uh, and you, you have autonomy, self-government. There's some other perks along the way. Most individuals who lived in Corinth were retired veterans. And if they had served, the mil- served in the military for the Roman Empire, they were also most likely granted Roman citizenship. Huge status. This is why I think Paul allowed himself to be beat. Because if you remember the scene after the, he, Silas and Paul declare, you know what, we're Roman citizens, It's you cannot beat a Roman citizen. They have to have a fair trial. They, they blew all of that, right? Well, what do the magistrates do at Philippi? Remember Acts? I mean, oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. The Greek even says that they keep repeating it. Let us take you out. We're so sorry. You know, they want to... Why? Because they could lose this status. You touch one of Rome's own, you, that city could have lost its... its, its it's a link to it being a roman colony it's significant as well when paul writes this letter because you just remember this in chapter one he says you know i've had an opportunity to minister to the whole imperial guard i can't help but think there may be some sons from this town who are in part of the imperial guard right daddy fought in the military and junior their son is now in rome serving I may be reading into it, but I, there's gotta be connections uh, with Rome. And look at the end of the letter, look at chapter four. He says in verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This is very significant, the connection between Philippi and Rome, and it's that military connection. Uh, their emperor worship occurred in, in Philippi. Uh, let me just give you. Let's just look at this. Um, this is the the ruins today. Part of the ruins. If you look right here, that's the bema seat where Paul would have appeared. Over here, we know is where the magistrates would have been. That's the government offices. Uh, it's just it's just a great sight, and and this is looking at the entire city. You can see the. Uh, This is the amphitheater that's a Greek amphitheater, so it would have been there when Paul was there. It was renovated during the the Roman period, but this gives you a good feel for the the whole surrounding area and the region. The church, well, we'll get to the church in a minute, but in your notes, um, they accidentally printed our notes in color, which I was glad they did because you can see the coin better on page two. (laughs) Uh, And I said, well, thank you. Um, This is just one of the coins minted, but... Coins in the first century were propaganda pieces. They were the billboards of the day. And I want you to see something, because this is very significant to our letter, is the cultic um, worship of the emperor. You have the emperor's portrait on the one side, but on the next side you have the statues of Augustus and Caesar. So the connections to Rome are very strong. Very important. And again, it's predominantly Gentile. There are no Old Testament quotations in Philippi or in Philippians. That's not true in, in for instance, other letters that are written, but that's true in this one because our audience isn't predominantly uh, Jewish. They're Gentiles. And again, uh, you know that from the names of the, of the le- that are contained in the letter as well as inscriptions that are found, which are predominantly in Latin. You would have expected Greek. Uh, in the language of the day, but it was in Latin because of why the connections with Rome. Very significant. But the city or the church, let's deal with this. As you mentioned, it's the first church established by Paul in Rome. It was founded on his second missionary journey. And we know the huge connections between Paul and this church. They love him dearly. It is a very generous church. Look at chapter four. Look at, we're going to see this. I've in one way, I've argued that elsewhere that that Philippians is the perfect missionary letter. <laughs> uh, Paul is thanking this group of believers for all they've done for him, right? And in chapter four, you see this starting in verse fourteen. Um, Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble, and as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry. When I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessaloniki, on more than one occasion, you sent me some, you needed my needs. After he leaves Philippi, you remember, he goes to Thessaloniki, and it's there that he will run, <laughs> uh, he'll be chased out of town. Um, but the Philippians continue to care for him and provide for him. Very significant. Questions on this backdrop? It's very important when we read this letter. This isn't uh, like First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, Paul has his fangs out; he's hot, hotter than hot. But Philippians, this is this is just—it's a—it's uh, a love letter. <laughs> it's one of gratitude. It's—it's it's one of affection, um, and and really one of joy, which we're going to highlight. But questions on that? Uh, I had. Some of you have seen these charts. and You may have even one in your Bible. Uh, remember, the first missionary journey will take us to Turkey, modern Turkey. It's the second missionary journey that he will skip on over to Philippi. So that's, that's where we are, the second missionary journey. in And you will be tested over that next week. So there you are. No, I'm just teasing. All right. Well, let's look at the purpose. Why? You go, thanks, Hoffman. love the backdrop. But why is this letter being written? Why is he pinning this? Let me give you several reasons why. I don't think there's one sole reason, other than you could argue it's pastoral in nature. The first purpose is Paul encourages the Philippian church to be unified. Uh, As this church continues to grow, (laughs) for the group of saved sinners, uh, you're going to have problems, right? And you got Odie and Stinky, who can't agree on the color of the carpet in the foyer, and, and there's a whole host of issues going on. And turn to Philippians 4, in fact, you can see this because I, I mentioned these ladies' names. He, he says in 4:2, I appeal to Odia and to Sentache to agree in the Lord. Yes, I say also to you, true companions, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel. I mean, they've been effective in ministry. But, you know, they're upset about when they have the Bible study hour. I don't know. Who knows what the issue is that they've disagreed on. But <laughs> Paul says, no, we can't have this. We've we got to be unified for the cause of Christ. Um, <clears throat> I've argued, I think, Satan's greatest tools are when he works within the body of believers, not on the outside, <laughs> uh, sadly. Uh, and you see that in our study of Second Peter and Jude. Uh, with false teachers. The, the most effective are the ones that are inside the camp, all right? Um, the outside, we all kind of come together and insulate ourselves, but inside, you don't expect that. And, and these aren't false teachers. These are just two ladies that, again, probably couldn't agree on what color the punch should be for the women's Bible study. I don't know. Is this being recorded? I hope not. All right. Encouraging the church. Rejoice in their progress. Uh, there's certainly that of, you know, I, I mean, the whole letter is is much that. And in chapter 4, verse 9, it says, When you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. By the way, that's an amazing statement. Many of you guys in this room disciple others or you work with, maybe it's your your kid or your grandkid. I don't know about you, that's that's a pretty bold statement to say, all that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me do it, <laughs> uh, right? Well, that's too convicting. Let's move on. Um, yes, right. There's a call to grow spiritually. There's a call to encourage the church. Third, there's an, he's got to explain why he's sending back Epaphroditus. You know, they were so gracious to send him to Paul, and now the question is, why is sending him back to us? So you've got that issue. And then fourth, Paul thanks the Philippians for their prayers and their financial support. Again, it's a, it's a great model for a missionary letter, I tell folks. And, and so these are the four reasons why he's writing to the church. And we'll see this as we journey through the epistle. Questions on it? No? Not enough coffee? Yeah, Bill. Bill? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Bill. I like preaching from the white space. Um, we, we, will, we will get to the two ladies and we'll talk about that because there is an issue where he says you, you need to help them agree. So we'll, we'll get there. Uh, good point, though. So I don't want to show all my cards. Uh, you won't come back when we get to chapter four. All right. So the structure of the book is laid out there for you. Very straightforward, uh, as you would expect. Um You've got that opening and the blessing the body of the letter, uh, thanksgiving and conclusion. Uh, It's just typical of first century letters. I want to highlight four other things before we journey too deep into the letter, starting next week. Uh, Some major theological themes. As you read through this book, as we study this book, and you turn this tapestry over, there's these four threads that you need to be watching for. You need to be observing. Let's look at these. First of all, there's a strong emphasis on the gospel, which is intriguing to me. Uh, Paul loves the phrase, in Christ. It's a a phrase that occurs in Philippians, but not like it does elsewhere. But Christ is the rallying point. It's the key to this whole gospel message. And it drives Paul's um, actions. It drives Paul's attitudes, etc. Hawthorne, in his commentary, says the centrality of Jesus Christ in the universe, in the world, in an individual's life vibrates through the letter to the church at Philippi. And that's what we're going to see as we go through. Watch that. Uh, Even in chapter one, it's mentioned several times, the gospel, as we're going to see as we we go along. So the gospel is going to be key to the book. Secondly is joy. Now remember, where's Paul? On a missionary high, leading another revival? No. No, 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 no. He's in prison. And <clears throat> these, are, these could be his last words. So he stresses the gospel. Joy. We're going to look at the whole theology of joy. This book is brilliant. Um, Hawthorne, again, this is in Dictionary of Paul in the letters, so it's not in his commentary. He says, joy is not so much a feeling as its settled state of mind characterized by peace, right? I can have joy from a bowl of cookies and cream ice cream, but that's not true joy. That's right? Joy is an attitude that views life including all of its ups and downs with equanimity. It is a confident way of looking at life that's rooted in faith in the living Lord of the church. And so one of the questions we're going to answer as we go through is what does Paul find what does Paul find joy in? And that's one of the things you want to observe if you're going to do some studying on your own. Note, note what brings him joy. Uh, that's very significant, and and we will highlight that as we go through the book. Uh, Philippians 4, look at Philippians 4. This is a familiar text. Many of you memorized this and when you were a kid in Sunday school, right? Philippians, there is... Uh, he. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, right? Philippians 4.4, 4, this whole idea uh, and the whole context there. He says, let everyone see in your gentleness the Lord is near. Catch that? His eschatology is driving his, his practice, his, his outlook. So, yes, I, I could be beheaded as a Roman citizen that's found guilty, before Nero, but it doesn't matter. The Lord is near. That's why you can say in Acts 20, right? I count it all loss for the cause of Christ. I mean, Paul's an amazing fellow. We're going to tease some of this out as we go along, but I mean, humanly speaking, Paul had it all together. He's born on the right side of the tracks. Very wealthy, affluent Jewish family. He had Roman citizenship, which was very atypical of Jews in the first century. I think personally he he would have been a member of the Sanhedrin given enough time. Uh, The Sanhedrin was that Jewish body that ruled in Israel, 72 men. And it was like our Supreme Court. You didn't take a position unless someone croaked. But we know Paul was the best of the students, and he studied with the best teacher, Gamaliel, a Pharisee, and he was rising up in the ranks. So I think in time, he would have been there. So <clears throat> studied at the right place, had the, the affluency, he, he had Roman citizenship, he had it all. This is, I count it all, lost for the cause of Christ. And that comes through in this book, loud and clear. And Christ becomes the rallying point, and that's another issue here, is that he will highlight the importance of humility. I love this cartoon. It says, for some reason, people tend to view me as arrogant, despite my superior virtues and academic aptitude. (laughs) How humble. Narcissism has a way of uh, shaping and molding reality. Yes, there you are. So he will highlight the importance of humility. And in one of the most famous chapters of all of the New Testament is chapter 2, with the, what we call the kenosis passage. And if you don't know what that means, you will by the time we're done. Uh, that's the whole cr- uh, Christological hymn that he weaves into the letter, whether he wrote it or not is debated. <clears throat> but chapter two, he uses Christ as an example of how we are to act and walk in humility. And so that'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, driven home in the book. And then finally, one other area as he ties this this epistle together and it's the heartbeat of i think of the whole letter is an issue of discipleship how what does it mean to live the christian life well and that's the title of our series and i i think if you said what is one versus a motto or for paul's life it's in chapter one of philippians look at philippians 1 21. this summarizes paul's ministry Well, it states, for me to live, or for to me, living is Christ and dying is gain, right? That's why he can say, hey, I'm glad I'm in prison because now I can share Christ with the Imperial Guard, right? it's a focus on on Christ, and and the joy that comes is because of being in Christ and the opportunity to share the gospel. And that is going to drive Paul's ministry. He said, yeah, you know, it'd be great if the Lord would take me home tomorrow or today. (laughs) I'd be with Him. But I got to persevere because it's about Christ. It's about all of you that I'm ministering to, as Paul writes. So in many ways, 121 is the motto for Paul's life, and it's what drives this letter. And we're going to see that as we go along. Questions or comments on this rich little book? This is why Walvert can state in his commentary, you could strip the New Testament letters away, hate for that to happen, but if we did and all we had was Philippians, we'd have the core of the Christian life, the gospel and how to live it, all spelled out in these four chapters. Right? There's a quote at the end of your notes from Howard Marshall, who also has written commentaries on Philippians, and he wrote, a, if you want a, a book to hold up your doors or <laughs> keep them from swinging closing, that's the New Testament theology, it's a great doorstop. He says, there's an intense sense of personal relationship with Christ in this letter, that is Philippians, for Paul Christian existence is not to be understood simply in terms of belief in a set of doctrines or as a way of life, although these are integral parts of it. It's also a spiritual experience of a relationship with God through Christ. This is a pastoral letter. Yes, there's some theological themes. I'm not denying that, but this isn't a a treatise like the Book of Romans, the defense of justification. (laughs) No, this, this is talking about sanctification. That is. How do we become holy? How do we become like more like Christ? And that's why I think this book is so apropos, and I'm excited about our journey through it. Well, comments? Questions? Cries of outrage? I'm excited. This is a wonderful book, and the opportunity we have to carve some time out and study it is dynamite. In that last part you just said, it is also a spiritual experience uh, of the relationship with God through Christ. Isn't that basically the thread that runs through the Bible, the relationship with God? Yeah, it, it is. But uh, uh, the question is, well, isn't Marshall's statement true of all the New Testament books? True. But Philippians is, is very focused. It's a laser beam on this whole topic. So, yeah. Uh Kyle. <clears throat> yeah uh paul isn't you know confined to a room and uh, eating just salami i mean he's under he's in prison with the imperial guard and he's the potential of death is very real and yet through it all, he can say, I, I have joy, and that's pretty amazing. Let me, let me pray, because of time, if you want to catch me afterwards, though, I and a lot of you guys, we, we have this room until nine, Robert, is that right? So don't feel you need, I know many of you have to get to work, but uh, feel free to stay for fellowship, and the, the coffee in there, eat it up, or drink it up, I'm not sure what you do. Father, we thank you for your word. <coughs> Lord, and as Paul reminds us so many times in the New Testament, um, for us to live is Christ. And that needs to be our motto even today. Uh, Life is not easy. And there's some in this room who are carrying huge burdens, whether that be a wayward son or daughter, whether it be um, a spouse that's facing cancer, whether it's tensions at work, and the pressures of life lord thank you for a book like philippians that says no all of these things can distract us from having true joy it doesn't mean they're not difficult it doesn't mean that uh it's it's gonna weigh heavy on our hearts from time but in in the process we focus on your son and it is that we find joy Lord, thank you for these men. Thank you for um, our opportunity that we have to study your word and to study this book in particular these next several months. Lord, we love you we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.